huge welcome to church today. We're in all our campuses uh, this morning for this start of this series. And so we're thrilled to be in Stocksbridge, in Rotherham, in Sheffield, in Chesterfield and in Derby. And uh, if you're new in any of those campuses or you're joining us online for the very first time, I want to give you a huge welcome today and say, if I've not seen you yet, Happy New Year um, at the start of 2022. So come on, let's welcome all our campuses and let's welcome everybody who's new. Uh, you can take your seats here in the room. Um, we are starting a new sermon series. I love the first sermon series of the year. The reason is because I always believe it can set the tone for the year ahead. And it always has a sense of being prophetic, what God wants to say to us. And, and I believe that's why we, um, one of the reasons we share that with all of our campuses at the beginning of the year, because we want to set the tone within our church for the year ahead. And at the end of this morning's service, we're going to be anointing in all our campuses people with oil. We love to do that at the beginning of the year. We did it last Sunday night in our worship night, but, but I thought it'd be a good thing to do on Sunday morning in all our campuses. Now, of course, if you're online this morning, we can't anoint you with oil, but, but our online campus pastors will be praying for you, so stick around online right at the end of the service, um, because we believe that God has got something for each and every person, and I believe God has got something for you in this message series as well. Do you believe it, church? Amen. So, after the fire, that's the title of this series where we're going to be looking at God's work of rebuilding. And uh, as I've said, I really believe God has something to say to us all as individuals, as families, but also as a church. And the book of Nehemiah speaks so powerfully, I believe, into this theme and also so powerfully into this cultural moment. And so I want to reach, I want to kick us off. We're going to be looking at the book of Nehemiah throughout this series. So I know you're reading other things in the Bible, but if you get chance, why not over this next uh, five or six weeks, why don't, why don't you read the book of Nehemiah as well? It's not, not a long book, but it'll really just um, help us as we go through. So I'm going to read chapter one. It's just a short chapter, and uh, this is what it says. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are back in the promise, province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. You can see where I got the inspiration for the message series, can't you? Its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We've not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave to your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. 
But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. When we think about the story of the Old Testament, Nehemiah is the very last part of the Old Testament story. The book of Nehemiah is right in the middle of our Old Testament scriptures, but the story is right at the end of the Old Testament. It's written over a period of about 15 years, 445 to 430 BC. And you might ask the question this morning, what's a 5th century BC story got to do with my life today? I'm so glad you asked that in Rotherham, because that's a great question. And I want to say to, to us all, it's got everything to do, because it emphasizes God's work of rebuilding. And what I know about human life is that sometimes in life we go through periods where everything's great, and then there are other times where things are challenging, where there's times of loss and chaos and crisis. But the story emphasizes that even when we go and we're in those times, God has a heart to rebuild. And the message of Nehemiah is how God rebuilds and how God rebuilds vision amongst the people, how God rebuilds order after the fire, how God rebuilds joy in the people, and how God ultimately builds a revival after the fire. So here's a bit of the background story. In 587 BC, Jerusalem, the capital city of Judah, is defeated and is sacked by the Babylonians. The residents are carried off into captivity and exile in Babylon. The people of God are therefore at a low place. There's no vision and there's no hope. And they're not just low, but they feel very weak, very insecure, weary and helpless. The city of Jerusalem has been burned with fire and they feel burnt out. They've been captured. They're strangers in a strange land. I sometimes feel like that living in 2022, don't you? I feel like a stranger in a strange land. Their city has been burned with fire. And pretty much in Jerusalem, nothing and nobody lives. And nothing is, is thriving. Five, this was 587 BC. But 40 years later, 587 BC, Jerusalem is captured by the Babylonians. 40 years later, the Babylon, Babylonian Empire is taken over by the Persian Empire. In fact, I want to show you a map of the three kind of empires of the Bible. You can see in the bottom left corner is Egypt. And of course, the people of God, that's where their story starts as slaves for 400 years. And then we have the Babylonian Empire, and we can see where that stretches through Israel. And then the green is the Medes and the Persians who take over from the Babylonians. The Persian ruler <clears throat> at this time is a guy called Cyrus, King Cyrus. And he learns that a Jewish prophet called Isaiah, 200 years earlier, spoke about him before he was even born. This is what Isaiah said in Isaiah 45, verses 1 to 4. 
This is what the Lord says to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I take hold of to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that the gates will not be shut. For the sake of Israel, for the sake of Jacob, my servant, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. Isaiah prophesied that about Cyrus 200 years before Cyrus was born. And Cyrus learns about it and he issues a decree that the nations that were taken captive by the Babylonians that are now their air captives can be released and allowed back into their native homes and their countries to worship their own gods. We actually have Cyrus's decree physically in the British Museum. You can go and you can see it. Here it is. Here's the decree of Cyrus. Now, you and I use paper. That's how they did it back then. It's called the Cyrus Cylinder. And you can actually see that in the British Museum. And so the Jews, this is the backstory. Jews start their return. And almost 100 years later, Nehemiah, who's been born in captivity, but he's received the faith of his parents. Nehemiah is the cupbearer to the king. And he asks the Jews who are traveling back and forth from Persia, from Babylon, back and forth from Jerusalem. He asks them, what state is Jerusalem in? And we read in those verses three and four that the reply was, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these things, Nehemiah says, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted before the God of heaven. That's why we're getting into this today. Because there's hope after the fire. That after the fire, God starts his work of rebuilding. And I want us to consider today that the first thing that God rebuilt in the heart of Nehemiah was he rebuilt a vision. Rebuilding vision. Nehemiah weeps. He weeps for the walls. He weeps because even though the people have gone back, even though the temple has been rebuilt, there's still devastation. The people are not prospering. There's no evidence of God's blessing. They're fragile. They're exposed still to their enemies. There's no order. There's no joy. There's no revival. A revival that had been expected once the temple had been rebuilt and worship restored. They expected the nation to thrive and to grow and to prosper. But they're disappointed because there's no order. There's no joy. There's no revival. And there's no vision. The people are still living in disappointment. This was a humanitarian crisis, but it was also a theological crisis. What do I mean by that? I mean that Jerusalem was meant to be the dwelling place of God. Jerusalem was meant to be the place where heaven and earth met together. Instead, it was a city whose people are in disgrace and trouble and whose gates are burned with fire. It doesn't re represent at all the dwelling place of God. And so Nehemiah weeps. He's burdened. Jerusalem, Psalm 48 tells us, was meant to be the joy of the whole earth. Jerusalem was meant to be this city from which blessing went to all the other nations of the earth. 
and it's far from that. The temple, as I've said, in Jerusalem was meant to be the place where heaven and earth met together, the place where heaven comes to earth. But there's no sign of that happening, no sign of heaven, no sign of God among the people, no sign of the kingdom of God at work. It's just devastation. I think we face a moment that this speaks into in the church today. You know, in the last two years, we've been separated, scattered, and isolated, haven't we? Some people have faced (coughs) incredible loss and incredible loneliness. Extended periods where they couldn't see friends or family. Extended periods where we couldn't gather with our family of God's people, the church. Babies have been born in Icon Church. Woohoo. And we've not seen them. Still, our church community has not seen them. We've not been able to celebrate some of the joys of life together. Weddings have been postponed. Celebrations have been canceled because people couldn't have those events with friends or family or even that extended family of the church. There's been funerals, but people have not been able to mourn with their church family in this last two years. People have made decisions about faith and life that they would never have experienced had they not experienced the fire. The gates have been burned with fire. We've all experienced the fire. You know, there's a recent church survey that says that 24% of churches that had youth ministry before the pandemic, two years ago, no longer have it today. That's one in four. And Nehemiah's story speaks to that because Nehemiah was born in exile. He was born in captivity, and yet he captured the faith of his parents. Our faith must pass to the next generation. Can you remember 9-11, Twin Towers? September the 11th, 2001. The devastation of the Twin Towers, those pictures of the World Trade Center collapsing, and then those pictures for days and weeks of the smoldering ground at Ground Zero, I think they called it. I want you to imagine today, 20 years on, that you're looking at that ground, and it's still on fire. It's still smoldering, because that's what Jerusalem was like. That's what Nehemiah was hearing. But Nehemiah knew in his heart God wasn't finished. Nehemiah knew in his heart that God is never finished. And Nehemiah begins to get a vision. And God begins to rebuild vision. And he starts in the heart of Nehemiah. And I wonder if God could rebuild something in our hearts today as Icon Church. That we could look and see. Yes, there's the smoldering ground. Yes, there's the after the fire devastation. But God isn't finished. And that God is restoring vision and hope and joy in our hearts today. I believe Proverbs 29 tells us why this matters. Proverbs 29 and verse 18 speaks to me and to you today about our lives. And it says this from the message. It says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are blessed. One translation says, without a vision, the people perish. They wander about aimlessly. It pictures that this matters because without vision, 
in our hearts, we lack purpose. Without vision in our hearts, we stumble all over ourselves. And we wander aimlessly through life. One philosopher called it misliving. We mislive. We don't live right. But God won't leave us there. God will not leave us there. And so he's going to rebuild in each and every one of us vision after the fire. Another verse in Proverbs speaks to this as well. Proverbs 13, 12 says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life. I love that, don't you? A longing fulfilled is a tree of life. You know, when God gives us a vision, it opens our hearts to what he has for us. When God gives us a vision, it opens our hearts to the possibility of restored fortunes and renewed hope. And I wonder what possibilities and what hope God wants to restore in your heart and my heart today. I believe that you're here today, not by accident. You're in Rotherham today. You're in Stocksbridge, Sheffield, Derby today. You're joining us online today because God wants to restore vision and fortune and hope in your life in this moment. And I want to tell you that when God rebuilds, he renews. And whenever you see the word renewal in the Bible, it's to build back better. That the renewed is better than what went before. And I, I want to prophesy into some of our lives today that you've been through the fire. You've been through the devastation. But God is renewing your heart, your soul, your mind, your life, your family, your strength. And when God renews... When God renews, it's for better. So what if as God rebuilds us, as he rebuilds our vision in our church, in our families, in our lives, maybe today you need God to rebuild a vision for your business. Maybe your business has felt the fire. What if God, as he rebuilds that vision, he's building a path to better than before, for better than before. He may not have sent the fire but he will rebuild the future. I want us to receive this word today. He will restore, he will renew, he will rebuild. I want us to agree for one another together as a church today. He will restore, he will renew, he will rebuild. I want us to re believe it for people in our world. He will restore, he will renew, he will rebuild. He's going, he's going to do it. He's going to do it. God has a vision of you and me participating in his story, partnering with him in his purpose. And that's what he wants to rebuild, that vision. The fire is an interruption. It's not meant to be forever. Thank God for that. It's a setback. But you don't sit in the setback. And you don't settle in the setback. You can be tempted to settle in the setback. And you never submit to the setback. You realize, no, it's an interruption. It's not meant to be forever. We let God build his kingdom vision in our hearts. We let our vision connect with God's vision. And I believe that's what God is doing today. As Proverbs says, when we see what God is doing, we are blessed. Is anyone ready for the blessing after the fire? Amen. You know, that's what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah gave attention to what God was doing, what God was saying, what God had promised. And he declared what God had done and what God had promised. And I believe that's what God is asking us to do. So just 
as I draw this message to a close today. And we give opportunity to pray and to be anointed with oil. And we'll do that in all our campuses. And if you're online, we obviously can't anoint you with oil, as I've said. But we will pray for you. Specifically, Nehemiah's vision was built on three things. And I want to share those with you this morning. The first is this. God's promise about the future. God's promise about the future. In Nehemiah 1 and verse 8 and 9... It's his prayer that we read. He's saying this. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses saying, if you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. That's happened. Nehemiah's reminding God, you, said, you talked about this. So let's, let's, let's talk about what you said. I will scatter you among the nations, but if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. Nehemiah's getting bold in God's presence. He's been weeping and mourning and fasting for days, but now he's saying, God, I want you to remember. I want you to remember what you said, because I'm trusting. I still believe what you said. The, the gates are burned with fire. It's still a smoldering, a smoldering ground, but you promised you said this, God, and I'm believing. I'm still believing today. You said you'd build your church, and I'm believing. You're going to build your church after the fire. You said that you would heal, and I believe that you will still heal after the fire. You said that we would be the head and not the tail, and I'm believing that today, God. I'm stepping into that today, God. I'm believing what you said. Have you learned to pray like that? You said it, God. It's right here. You wrote it. You promised it. And I'm believing for it. God has chosen Jerusalem as a dwelling for his name. That people would return to you no matter what. No matter what devastation. Even if we are exiled, you said, to the farthest lands, you would bring us back. I'm believing what you said, God, today. I'm believing that. What promises do you need to remember? What promises do you need to lay hold of? What promises do you need to ask God about today? You promised God that Jerusalem would be the joy of the whole earth. It's not over. You promised that from Jerusalem, the whole world would be blessed. I'm stepping into that today. I'm asking you to fulfill your promise. And Nehemiah took a step of faith and he believed and he had this vision staring in his heart and in four, it would be 400 years when God would finally fulfill those promises in Jesus. When God would keep his promise, Jesus becomes the one who brings heaven to earth and suddenly heaven is back on earth again in the person of Jesus. And, and you and I can experience through a relationship with Jesus what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus, 400 years later, would die on a cross in Jerusalem. He would die for the sin of the whole world. God bringing people back to himself. God bringing people, even from the farthest nations, to himself. God would fulfill that promise in Jesus. Jesus, who on the streets of Jerusalem declared this. It's in John chapter 7. 
verses 37 to 39, on the last and greatest day of the festival. I've put in brackets, this was the day they pour water down from the steps of the temple in Jerusalem to symbolize a river of blessing flowing out from Jerusalem. On that day, Jesus stands up and he says in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, Jesus said, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who were believing in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Maybe you can feel that thirst today. Maybe you can feel that stirring from God today. Maybe you can be believing today that God is rebuilding within you a vision of us being full of the Holy Spirit. Is anyone thirsty? Maybe you feel that thirst today. Come to me, Jesus says. Come to me. The first thing Nehemiah's vision was based on was the promises of God, God's promise. The second thing was it was based on God's plan for his people. Verse 10 of his prayer, he goes on, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Nehemiah's prayers take a a little bit of a twist here. The first, he's sort of saying to God, you said and I believe it. You said and it's time for you to do it. You said and I'm waiting for your promise. And I want to tell you, God loves that kind of prayer. You might think when you're praying like that, oh, I'm questioning God. Will God strike me dead? No, God loves it. God loves it when you step into what God said. Well, his prayer takes a change because now he's saying, remember, these are your people who you redeemed. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Exodus, who you delivered with your great strength and your mighty hand. You see, you didn't leave us, God, in Egypt. You didn't leave us as slaves. If you did it then, you can do it now. If you did it back then, you can do it now. If you saved my family, members of my family then, you can do it now. If you healed that person in my church, you can do it now. If you did it then, you can do it now. If you had a purpose for your people way back then, you've got a purpose for your people right now. You know, Sunday night, we had an incredible worship night in our Chesterfield campus, and uh, I just felt a prophetic word, really, about worship. And uh, I wanted to share some of that, that, that I believe that God was saying there will be a new emphasis in this season on worship, a renewed emphasis, a renewed emphasis of God's presence as we worship, and that as we worship, and there was such a phenomenal atmosphere of worship in this place, in this service, that people would be set free as we worship. People would be healed. People would find a new identity in his presence, discover fresh purpose and hope that there would be an anointing that comes on people for their life in worship, that people who had felt restless would find peace, that the love of God as we experience that in our worship, as we worship him, would dispel fear and that God would stir a spirit of faith among us. And we would see his kingdom manifest and revealed amongst us. That it would be normal to see people come to faith. It would be normal to see sick people healed. It would be normal to see people finding freedom as they gather in God's 
presence. I want to tell you, Icon Church, wherever you are, whichever campus you're in today, you are part of something significant. And the part you play is important. The part you play is important. I want you to recognize that. I want you to allow God to rebuild that vision. But not just for us, a a vision for us, but for you personally. Let me read these verses from Ephesians 2 from the message. You belong here. Oh, you belong here. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you. 2,000 years later, it's you and it's me. Fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us built into it. A temple in which God is quite at home. Remember what Jerusalem was meant to be? It was meant to be the place where God dwelt. Well, now that's us. That's the church. It's the place where God dwells. What a vision. God is rebuilding this vision again. It's time to rebuild. It's time to play our part Nehemiah's vision was built on the promises for the future, but the plan for God's people. And the final thing, the band can come back, the worship team can come back. It was built on God's favor. It was built on God's promise for the future, his plan for his people, but it was built on God's favor. Imagine what could happen, what God could do, how God can work. Imagine what God can do in and through us If we experience his favor. Imagine what God could do on your street with your neighbors. With a family member. With a project that's in your heart. With an idea. You see your vision doesn't have to start at what could go wrong. It doesn't have to start in fear. Your vision could start at what could go right. What could God do? What could happen with God's favor? Sometimes we feel weak and we need strength, but God's strength can be made perfect in our weakness. Sometimes we can feel anxious, but like Paul and Silas in prison, as they worshipped, you could find peace and a confidence. Nehemiah says this in verse 11, Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success. His first prayer, his first bit of his prayer was, you promised, I believe it, it's time to see it. His second prayer was, you did it back then. God, do it again. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. I don't just want to read about moves of God in history. I don't just want to read about healing in the gospel and the acts of the apostles. I want God to do it again. I don't just want to tell the stories of the miracles that God has done in 35 years of Icon Church. I want to believe that God has still more for us in the future. And then the last part of his prayer was, grant me success. Put your hand of favor upon me. I don't know where you need success. Maybe it's in some plan, some project, some business, some favor. Maybe it's in your health. Maybe 
Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in, in some area you know. I believe you can ask God today. Let your hand of favor be upon me. See, Nehemiah had a plan. I'm going to the king. I've got stirred up with vision. The walls shouldn't be like this. They shouldn't still be smoking all these years later. No, I'm going to the king. I've got a big ask. I'm stepping out. I'm going. I ask you to give me success and be with me. Nehemiah didn't wait for favor. He expected favor. Let me say that again. He's going anyway. He's going whether it succeeds or even if it fails. He's going. He's stepping out. He's talking to that person. He's sending that message. He's doing what needs to be done. He's starting that project. And he's stepping out and saying, God, would you grant me success? Would you let your favor be upon me? He steps out. I want to tell you today, favor is coming. Favor is coming your way. After the fire, God rebuilds vision. Let's not be sat in our setback. Let's not settle in our setback. Let's not submit to our setback. But let's see God rebuilding vision amongst us. I believe 2022 is a year of rebuilding. And it's building back better. It's a year of rebuilding and a year of renewal. Building back stronger. And in a moment, we're going to pray and we're going to anoint people with oil and I'll hand back in a moment to the campus pastors who'll come and instruct you about how we're going to do that. And I want to encourage you in response to this message, just like Nehemiah, whatever area you need success in, step out. You might think, like I'm in a job I don't like. You might just need to step out and apply for some different whatever it is I can't write your story you know God can speak to you whatever it is ask for God's favor upon you